Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. This morning, we are privileged to partake in communion and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us. Of course, we want to remember the sacrifice that our fallen brothers and sisters that have given us uh, freedom that we have today, that we can gather here and worship God freely. But I don't know about you, but I also want to give some adoration to my Savior today. And so this morning, we're going to switch things up a little bit. If you can remain in an attitude of worship, we're going to take communion now so that at the end that we can allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever He wants to do. I don't want to cramp His style, um, so we're going to go ahead and take communion now. So if you have your communion elements, go ahead and get those out, and I'm going to pray. Father, Your Word tells us that we should examine our hearts before we take communion and repent of any sin that isn't already covered by the blood. So, Father, we do that right now. We ask, Lord, that if there is any unrepentant sin in our life, Lord, that you would take away, take that away, make our souls as white as, white as snow. Jesus, we know that you died for our sins, and all we have to do is ask for you to forgive us, and you're faithful to do that. So, Father, we thank you for that today, and we celebrate you, and we thank you today for the sacrifice that you made so that we can partake of communion today. In Jesus' name. Amen. The same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and after he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, this is my body. I want you to think about that this morning. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread. In the same manner, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's partake of the cup. Father, we thank you today for the blessing of salvation. We know that there was no way for us to earn our, earn our salvation on our own. We proved that throughout all of history. But we're thankful that you loved us enough that even before you created us, you knew that we were going to fail. And yet you looked at us and you said, I love them enough that it's worth the sacrifice. I know I'm going to have to die to redeem them, but I love them enough that I'm willing to go through that. And so, Father, today we thank you that you chase after us that as far as we want, try to run away from you, you're faster. That you're right behind us and that you love us unrelentingly. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice on the cross in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen. On this Memorial Day weekend, we want to remember those, of course, that have given their life so that we can be here today in worship and freedom. Many lives have been given so that we can have this freedom, and I pray, as already been said, that we will never take our freedom for granted or forget those that have paid the ultimate price for it. In addition, in addition to this being Memorial Day, though, this Sunday is also Pentecost Sunday, which was the birthday of the global 
church. And so today we're going to spend some time unpacking what Pentecost Sunday is all about. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the very familiar passage that I'm sure almost every Pentecostal preacher is referencing today, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And as you're turning there, I want to thank you all for praying for our staff as we went to district council this past week. Uh, We had a great time. It's always good to be able to get together with other um, believers, other pastors, and to just share uh, testimony of all the great things that God is doing in our churches. And one of the astonishing things that pastor and none of the staff, as far as I know, knew this, when we got the booklet, we opened it up. They always have a thick booklet that has all the, the finances of the church and the missions giving of all the churches of the past year and all that kind of stuff. And pastor and I both noticed, I think at about the same time, that this church, you, Oxford Assembly of God, catch this, was 99th in our missions giving out of every Assembly of God church in the entire world. That is not just for our district. That's not just our section. That is out of every Assembly of God church in the world. And just in case you didn't know that, I'm grateful for the size that we have and all the people that call this their home church, but we are far below the largest Assembly of God church. So that just goes to show that God is greatly multiplying and and greatly increasing everything that you are giving. And I want you to know that you are sowing into fertile soil. And I just want you to know that today, that you're offering... uh, and your missions giving is making a difference all around the world. Because how many of you know that I want the person at my back door to know about Jesus, but I also want the ones overseas to know about Jesus. We need everyone to know about this liberating gospel. So I just want to encourage you today that uh, be faithful in your giving and your tithes and your offerings because it is making a difference, church. I want you to know that today. Acts 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And the divided tongues as a fire appeared on the, to them and rested on each one of them. And there... And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own native language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Drop down to verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great 
and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, I ask above all else that your will would be done in this place today because there is nothing more important to me than your will being done. Holy Spirit, we feel your presence in this place, and I just pray in advance that you will begin to work on the hearts of those that you want to come down to this altar later whenever we open up the altars. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to keep coming. Move among, our, move among us, and Lord, I just pray that as we get closer to you and draw closer to you by studying your word, that when we leave this place, we would act and look more like you than whenever we came in. Father, we thank you for this service. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach for the next few moments along these lines. The promise is in the house. After Jesus rose out of the tomb that man thought would surely be able to contain what God had planned, we're told that Jesus appeared to his disciples for 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. He showed them many convincing signs that he was truly alive. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I worship and serve a living Savior that has trampled under feet death, hell, and the grave. No other religion can say that their Savior died for them, was buried, and rose again. But church, I'm here to tell you, our Jesus did that for us. Not long before he ascended into heaven, he gave his disciples this command, Acts 1 verses 4 through 5. Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. After being with the disciples for a total of 40 days, he ascended to heaven, and after 10 days, we are told that the disciples were baptized with the promised Holy Spirit in Acts 2. Now, before we dive into this today, I want to be crystal clear on something right out of the gate this morning. If you were to ask me, Scott, what does it take for me to be saved and make it to heaven? My response to you would be, you must be saved. Because that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus, John 3, 3. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. For those of you that heard the message that I preached a few months back about the thief on the cross, I pointed out that the thief did not have time to get water baptized and spirit baptized. All he could do is believe on Jesus and receive salvation. I'm not saying that we should not be water and spirit baptized. All I'm telling you is it's not required. But here is a sad reality. Many in the church get saved and they stop right there. And they never receive the power that helps them to walk out this life with Christ and share with others about him. So we end up with a bunch of weak-wristed Christians that don't have the power and the anointing that Christ in part died for us to have. Our Old Testament fathers longed for the day they could receive what we now have access to. And yet today, many don't receive it or embrace it. I'm here to tell you that when Christ took his last breath on that cross, the scripture tells us the veil was torn from heaven to earth. In other words, we have been given complete access to the Father whenever we want to. Yet many are not taking advantage of this remarkable gift that Christ died for us to have. Today on Pentecost Sunday, I want us to debunk some myths about the Holy Spirit that I think keeps many from desiring to receive him and answer the question, can we receive him today and talk about the role that he plays in the believer's life? 
But before we dive into all of that, we need to start at the very beginning and answer the question, what is Pentecost? For those that have a Pentecostal church background, you probably already know all about Pentecost. I'm sure you've heard of many messages on this, but I'm sure there are some here today that don't. The prefix penta means 50, and it's a celebration of 50 days after Passover, or for us, 50 days after Easter. In the Old Testament, it's known as the Festival of Weeks, which is a celebration of the harvest, and it's also the celebration of the giving of the law to the people. This is significant because on this day in the Old Testament, God's people received the law, and 1,200 years to the day later, we arrive at Acts 2, where the disciples were gathered and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, on the day of Pentecost, God gave his people the Ten Commandments, and 1,200 years later, he gave his Spirit. Why? Because throughout history, man proved one thing. One thing became crystal clear. We could not fulfill the law. The attraction to sin was too great. So what did God do? God sent his son to die for our sins, and that's not all. He gave us another precious gift by giving us the Holy Spirit, which helps us to walk in obedience with God's word. Why is this significant for us today? I am so glad that you asked. On Mount Sinai, God's presence was accompanied by fire, smoke, and the sound of thunder. During Pentecost, God's presence was accompanied by the sound of wind, tongues of fire and the gift of different languages. When God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, the people were worshiping the golden calf when they should have been worshiping God. Around 3,000 people died as punishment for that sin, but when the Holy Spirit was given during Pentecost, the people repented and around 3,000 people believed and were reborn. While God was guiding his people to the promised land, he did so with a cloud by day and fire by night. But at Pentecost, God moved his presence into a new temple within each and every believer of Jesus Christ. The presence of God is no longer just hovering over us, friends. It's no longer behind a veil that can only be accessed by the high priest once per year. It's available for us to receive and access 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God doesn't just want his spirit hovering over us. He wants it to live inside of us. That's what Pentecost is about. The day of Pentecost is about more than just the gift of tongues. Tongues is not what Pentecost is all about. Pentecost is about the unification of the body of Christ, and it's about the personal indwelling of the Spirit of God. Tongues is just one gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is just a very small sliver to what he has to offer. It's just, as the Assemblies of God says, the initial physical evidence that someone has been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I am all about speaking in tongues, but I believe Christine Kane said it best when she said, who cares if you can speak in tongues if you're mean in English? <laughs> Unfortunately, many people 
place such an emphasis on speaking in tongues that many people think that's all it's about. But friends, I'm here to tell you there is a lot more. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, we see the gift of speaking in tongues clearly on display, and it was a sign that this gospel that Jesus preached was for all sinners of every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. It was not just for the elite. It wasn't just for the Pharisees that could quote scripture. It was for the little man. And I feel like talking to the ones that feel like a nobody in this house this morning for just a second. This gospel is meant to be a sign to you that this is for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. If his grace was good enough to save a thief on a cross just moments away from death, don't you know that it's good enough to save you today? This leads us to our first point this morning. The promise of the Holy Spirit is promised to us. Many that claim to know Christ think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for us today. They claim the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts 2 was just for the disciples to enable them to spread this new gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to admit to you that I am a very simple thinker. And if you don't believe me, you can ask my wife after service. She will she will guarantee you that she will tell you, yes, he is a very simple thinker. I'm the type that likes simple common sense. But the sad reality is today it seems like common sense is no longer that common. So you'll have to forgive me if I'm making this seem a little too simple today. I'm going to break this down. As pastor says, he likes to put cookies on the bottom shelf so everyone can get to some, okay? That's what I'm going to do today. I have taken many classes of theology, but sometimes we don't need to get all technical to know the heart of our Father. My question for those that think that the promise of the Holy Spirit was just for the disciples is this. Do you really think that God loved them more than us? If the Spirit was intended to help the disciples spread the gospel, why wouldn't God want to help us spread the gospel today? You see, some of you have grown up in a house where your parents had favorites. Maybe it was clear that your parents loved your other siblings more than they loved you. But I want to make something crystal clear this morning. God does not play the favorites game with his children. He loves you just the same as he loves me. If he was willing to save me, he's willing to save you. If he's willing to fill the early disciples with the promise of the Holy Spirit, don't you know that he'll do it for you? God is not prejudiced. God is not sexist. God is not racist. God loves everyone equally. And I think the reason we have a hard time understanding this truly equal treatment is because we fail to see it in our culture today. But I'm here to tell you, God loves you as much as he loved Peter. God loves you as much as he loved the Apostle Paul. God loves you as much as he loved Timothy. And if he was willing to fill them with the Holy Ghost so that they could live for, the, live for Christ and spread his gospel to the ends of this earth, I'm here to tell you he is willing to fill you. But if that common sense theology is not enough to convince you, I want us to go to the Bible to find the answer. To answer the question, is the promise of the Holy Spirit a promise that we can receive today? We need to understand that there are three distinct baptisms that Scripture clearly outlines and talks about. But before I dive into three baptisms, we need to have an understanding of what baptism really means. Baptism means to be fully immersed into something, not just a tiptoe experience. This is not your waist-deep experience. We're talking about fully 
immersion. That's why when Jesus baptized, he didn't just sprinkle them, he immersed them. When John baptized Jesus, Jesus was fully immersed. So what are the three baptisms? I'm glad you asked. The first baptism, the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. Where do we, where do we see that? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. In other words, we are baptized into the body of Christ. This is our repentance. This is our salvation experience. This is where we go from living for ourselves and our own desires to serving Christ. Our sins are washed away in this baptism. The second is the one that most are familiar with. The disciple baptizes us in water. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is water baptism. Now, I want you to pay careful attention to the word choice. Notice that I said the disciple because it doesn't have to be a pastor. It's just a disciple. According to Scripture, any believer can baptize someone. The third and final baptism is the one we're focusing on today. Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. How do we know this? Matthew 3.11. This is John the Baptist speaking here. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus wants to fill us, get us completely immersed in the Holy Spirit. Notice we have two separate events described in this passage. We have water baptism and we have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And notice who is doing it, Jesus. Now there's something we need to address before we move forward. In the Old Testament, we can see glimpses of the Holy Spirit empowering his people but the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament Holy Spirit baptism is the duration. Let's look at John 1.33. Again, this is John speaking here. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. Underline that in your Bibles. Remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. God told John that the one you see the Spirit descend and remain upon is the one. This is very important for us to notice because before this point, the Spirit had descended upon certain people, but it was always for a specific reason and a set time frame. The Spirit had never remained on a person until Jesus. If you remember, we're told the Spirit descended upon Saul, but when he sinned by offering a sacrifice without Samuel present, we're told that the Spirit left him. A few chapters later, the spirit descended on David. And when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, David said this in Psalm 51 when he was repenting of this sin. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, when did John see the spirit descend and remain? When he baptized Jesus in water. When John baptized Jesus, Scripture tells us that the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended on Jesus. When Pastor Robert Morris was preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he mentioned that we have to pay careful attention to the grammar that is used when reading Scripture because it can dramatically change the way that we understand it. Like a dove is a simile. 
which means it adds to the sentence. It gives a little bit of color to it. The Holy Spirit is the subject here. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended upon Jesus. The problem is many people that think that sentence reads this way. A dove, like the Spirit, descended on Jesus. Because why? We've all seen the movie where we've all seen the dove fly down from heaven, have we not? We've all seen that. Pastor Robert Morris said he heard about this old preacher one time that wanted to do an illustration during his sermon. There was a hole right above the pulpit where a vent had once been at one point in time that had never been filled in. And so the pastor got this little boy and he flung him up in the attic and sent him up there with a dove and told the boy, when I say the Holy Spirit came down, you throw the dove down. You probably see where this is going. And so he got to preaching his message and he got to that pivotal moment and he said, the Holy Spirit came down and nothing happened. So he repeated, he said, I said, the Holy Spirit came down, nothing happened. So he said it again a little bit louder. I said, the Holy Spirit came down. Then he heard this little voice say, pastor, a cat ate the Holy Ghost. Do you want me to throw the cat down instead? I'm very grateful that the Holy Spirit is not a dove, okay? I want you to catch this. The dove, like the Holy Spirit, did not descend. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. This is not some artificial version of the real thing. This was the real Holy Spirit. Now, again, I'm simple-minded, so I tend to ask simple questions. My question for you is this. If Jesus needed to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, what makes you think that you can accomplish everything that God wants you to accomplish without it? Because I'm going to be honest, I know most of you, and I'm sorry to say that none of you are greater than Jesus. I love you, but Jesus is greater than anyone in this room today and everyone watching online. I love you, church family, but none of you are greater than Jesus. I'm here to tell you that if God is willing to provide this gift to me in order to help me follow closer to him, obey him, and fulfill his will, then I want it. Throughout the entire chapter of Psalm 51, when David repented of his sin, notice how desperate his prayer sounds. He is desperately pleading for God not to take the Holy Spirit from him. Why? Because he knew that he couldn't accomplish what God had sent him to do without it. I make no bones about this. Yes, people can accomplish great things for God without the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I will tell you. Whatever great things you are doing for God will be greatly enhanced with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And David knew this. David knew he couldn't successfully lead an entire nation without the anointing and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at a few more scriptures that clearly show all three baptisms so that we can definitively answer the question, is the promise of the Holy Spirit promised to us today? Can we receive it? Because at the end of the day, if we cannot receive it, if it's not available, then there is no need for us to continue talking about something that is obsolete. As we go through these passages, I want you to look for all three baptisms that we talked about. The baptism of salvation, baptism of water, and Holy Spirit baptism. Acts 2.37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, that's salvation, and be baptized 
That's water baptism. And every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Holy Spirit baptism. All three in that passage. Now, we need to address something. Some people believe this gift was just for those that initially received it. It was only intended for those that were present on this day of Pentecost. But I want you to look with me in the same passage, one verse below that, Acts 2.39. For the promise, what is the promise? The Holy Spirit is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone, by the way, that word everyone in the Greek means everyone, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That's us. In case you missed it, that last part is us. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Friends, I'm here to tell you that you can flip that passage however you want to, but Peter has made it quite clear that the promise is for everyone. If you have received Christ, this promise is available for you. I'm here to tell you the promise is in the house this morning. Now let's look at another passage where we will see all three baptisms. Acts 8, beginning at verse 12. Philip has just preached to a group of people and they have become believers. Acts 8, beginning at verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and at, in the name of Jesus Christ, in other words, they received salvation, they were baptized, both men and women. There's the water baptism. Drop down to verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. There's Holy Spirit baptism. All three in that passage. Now, let me ask you something. If these new converts already had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then why would Peter and John pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit if they in fact already had it? Friends, I'm here to tell you the scripture is clear on this. There are three distinct baptisms. What amazes me is we have people in the church that are willing to entrust their eternal souls to Christ, yet they don't trust him enough when it comes to receiving this gift. Many are willing to receive the blood, but many are not willing to receive the spirit. Could it be that we have many people that don't understand the reason that Christ came for the, in the first place? He didn't come just to save you, friends. He came to save whosoever will. Could it be that the global church is only interested in a get-out-of-hell-free card and has no interest in fulfilling the great commission? Because I've already said this, and I'll say it again. The primary function of the Holy Spirit is to help you be witnesses to those that don't know Christ. And if you are willing to trust in the power of Jesus' blood to wash your soul clean of sin, then why don't you trust him enough that this gift is a good thing? I believe the problem is we have many people that are only in it for what they can get out of it. Friends, the Jesus that lives inside of you is not meant to be kept captive by you. It is meant to be shared. And if you will just yield your will to Jesus, he wants to use you to be a witness to others that he loves and so desperately wants 
to save. I am here to tell you that he loves you, but he also loves those around you. Well, Pastor Scott, I don't like this whole tongue talking thing. It freaks me out and I just don't think it's for me. Well, lovely, excuse me if I seem a bit harsh, but I really don't care what you like because whether you realize it or not, when you received Christ, you agreed to turn over your own will to accomplish His. So quite frankly, I don't care what you like. This is what you signed up for whenever you said, I receive you, Jesus. I am telling you, it is time for the church to wake up and stop being so scared and fearful of allowing the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do with us. I learned a long time ago the best thing that I can do is just yield the floor to God and the working of His Spirit because He can do more with my surrender than I can ever do with my control. Now, I want to be crystal clear on something. Many people believe that they receive the Holy Spirit when they receive Christ. And I'm here to tell you that that is true. How do we know this? Because you cannot separate a member of the Trinity from the others. It's just simple theology. But here's what I want us to understand this morning. Jesus wants to baptize you. In other words, he wants to fill you to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ, you have a portion of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus wants to get you, give you more. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus is offering more, I will gladly accept it. Amen. Praise band, if you'll please come back up to the stage. On the screens right there, you see all three of these baptisms. The first one is, again, the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. I don't want you to get this confused. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The disciple baptizes us in water. And number three, Jesus baptizes us in or with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to know about the Holy Spirit today on Pentecost Sunday, according to Scripture. First, the promise of the Holy Spirit is promised to us, according to Acts 2.39. Second, the promise of the Holy Spirit is worth waiting for. How do we know this? Because Scripture tells us the disciples waited for the promise for 10 minutes, 10 days. They waited 10 days. Good luck getting the church to wait 10 days. So it leads me to believe that it's worth waiting for. The third, the promise comes as he wills, often not according to our expectations. And let me be frank with us, this promise of the Holy Spirit will test just how deep your faith goes because when he speaks to you and orders you to do something that is beyond your capabilities, what you can comprehend or it starts to invade your comfort zone, that's when the rubber starts to meet the road. That's when you'll realize that there's more to this Jesus, that Jesus doesn't, Jesus's love doesn't just impact me, but it wants to invade our entire world. Fourth, the promise often comes in response to dying to self. Pastor Jim Rayleigh recently said this, sin fascinates before it assassinates. If you want to receive the promise, the first step is you've got to let go of sin and let go of your selfish desires and yield your will to him. And when I say this, I'm even talking about that sin that no one knows about that you've been hiding and you think that because no human knows about it, then God doesn't. 
If you want to receive him, you need to repent of sin. Fifth, the promise is given to empower us to be witnesses. God has always been faithful to provide for us everything that we need to accomplish what he has ever asked us to do. And spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth is not an easy task. But with the power of the promised Holy Spirit, church, I'm telling you that it is possible. Here's a simple explanation of each baptism according to scripture. Number one, we get saved. We become a brand new person. Number two, we get water baptized. The old person is cut off. When we come up out of that water, we are making a proclamation to everyone that my old life is gone. That's behind me. That's in my past. I'm not picking that back up. I am now living for Christ. When we get spirit baptized, we get the power to walk in the new. It is a complete work. As I get ready to close this morning, I want to tell you something. I want this church to be the devil's worst nightmare. I want to see the devil run out of this city. The way we're going to do that is through the power of the Holy Ghost. You get enough people filled with the Holy Ghost and Satan will know better than to start attacking that church. It is time to serve Satan with an eviction notice and let him know that he is not welcome in Oxford. He is not welcome in the villages. He is not welcome in Wildwood. He is not welcome in Summerfield. He is not welcome in our state. But the reality is, church, if we don't have the Spirit, all we are is a bunch of saved people without any real power against the enemy. This morning, as Lee leads us in this song, I want to encourage you. If you're willing to say, God, I want everything you have for me. If you want to heal me, I want it and I want to receive it. I want the baptism of your Holy Spirit. I don't want a tiptoe experience either. I want to be fully submersed in your spirit for your glory so that I can share the gospel with power and have authority over the enemy. If that's you today, and maybe you've already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but can I tell you something? I don't know about you, but I, for one, I need to be refilled sometimes. I need to be refreshed sometimes. So I'm addressing everyone in this room, whether you have it or whether you don't. I want to encourage you to get out of your seat and walk up to this altar and ask God for it. If you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all you have to do is ask for it. But I want to remind you, if you have any unrepentant sin, let's deal with that first. If you've been struggling to receive him, may I suggest as you come this morning, I want you to stop seeking the gift and I want you to start seeking the gift giver who is Jesus. Just start worshiping him as Lee leads us in this song. And as you do, just tell him, baptize me with the power of your Holy Spirit. So during this altar call, I'm going to open the altars and I just want to invite you to come to the altar and seek Jesus. And as you are seeking him, just ask him, Jesus, fill me with the third baptism. Fill me with the promise of your Holy Spirit. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.